Well, good morning, and uh, again, my name is Roger, and if, if we haven't met, we should change that. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore Church, and uh, man, I, I got to tell you, one of the things that I have been passionate about, even since, um, well, l- let me back up. Uh, so I, I w- I've been in ministry for, um, I don't know, a few years, and um, one thing that I, that I knew to be true about ministry is that uh, ministers had to just endure. What I mean by that, and this doesn't happen here, okay? It never has happened and will never happen because you guys love Jesus more than anything in the world, um, is that people complain about church, okay? And uh, every now and then it'll, no, it's never happened ever. It won't ever happen. But uh, Monday morning, you just don't check your email as a pastor, okay? It's just good rule not to. Um, here's what, here's what I knew about pastors is they, they, they were just everybody's spiritual, emotional dumping ground. And and look, don't hear this wrong. I want to care for you and I want to love you. Um, but we were also, uh, not we, but pastors I saw were just also everyone's punching back. And, uh, and so I didn't want to be in ministry. I wanted to play baseball and sign with the Reds when I was 19, which almost happened, but I just chose not to because I love God more. I didn't want to have anything to do with the church because I knew that if I'm going to be involved with someone, uh, something that God designed me to be out in front, like to, to be a leader, and, and I didn't want to be a pastor because I didn't want just everyone to, to beat up on me and, and, and that I had to take it, right? So I was going to be a youth pastor <laughs> so that... Uh, I can just pass all the complaints on to the pastor, and he can get beat up, and I can just be the fun guy that everyone wants to be when they grow up. That's what I want to be. Well, I went to this conference one time, okay? It was called Next Level Conference. It was in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, man, this guy just brought it out of me. It was awesome. I get pumped up just thinking about it. And he said, here's, here's what we're failing to do as ministers, is to put our feet in the ground, like just to dig in and challenge our men, right, to, to just to be men, like to flex spiritually in your home and to, and to lead passionately in your home. And man, a fire just lit. I can remember where I was sitting. I can remember who it was speaking. His name was Don Wilson. He was just, oh man, it was awesome. And since then, I was 18 years old when I heard, I was 19 years old when I heard that. So for, for 10 years, I've been passionate mostly I'm passionate about creating followers of Jesus, okay? Don't get me wrong. And ladies, this is not a slight to you. I think that there are leadership positions for you in the church. I believe God's wired you to lead. I believe that God's wired you uh, specifically to minister uh, in the same ways, just differently than men. But So this is not a, a slight to you. But I think that if men, especially Christian men, will follow God more than anything, I believe that we will again become a nation um, that's after God's heart. I, I could watch our city change. Um, okay, that's not even in the sermon. I'm just so excited about Father's Day. Um, <laughs> uh, and that, that, that's kind of, that's, that's where this comes from. Um, so I, I'm not a superhero guy, okay? And, and you, can, you can hold that against me, but it's all right, nerds. Uh, <laughs> But you know what I got to tell you, the last few years I've missed out because uh, all, the, all these superhero movies are coming out and, and I feel like I'm missing out and I'm not in the cool group now that superheroes are cool. Um, my dads love superhero. My dad, not dads, my dad loves superheroes. My uncles, now my kid loves them. So I've, I've got to start to love them, all right. Um, but in 1941, during the time of World War II, 
uh, the United States was introduced to a new superhero. He was a constant superhero. He was a consistent superhero. He's what we all as a nation were craving for. Anybody know who it was? Captain America. Yeah, he was defender of our country. He, he made a little exit there for a, lot, a little bit because after World War II, he became not so popular. But in 1964, he came back out. Uh, I don't know all of that. I looked it up on the Google machine. But Captain America has kind of resurfaced with the 10,374 superhero movies that have just come out, and you can't keep up with any of them. Um, but so, like, you know, Captain America, and then the Avengers, and then Avengers 17, and Avengers 39, and then Infinity, and Civil War, and then we're reunited, and we're back together, and then, you know, all of those things. But uh, I, why, why am I bringing up Captain America this, this morning? Here's why. Um, it's because the goal of Captain America was to bring, like, uh, a message of hope to, um, to, to our, our country, to our, our nation, right? But, but the message was about this mighty warrior, like this conqueror. This one person could be the defender of all things. Um, with the uh, super soldier serum, and the Vitaray treatment, see the Google machine worked for me, um, he's, he's transformed. And what comes out in this superhero, Super America, is his strength, his endurance, his agility, his speed, reflexes, durability. And all of these things supersede the, the, the human strength. He was, and, and because of all those, he was able to defend, protect, battle, and stand tall for his people. I want you to hear that last part again. And instead of Captain America, I want you to picture uh, the leader of your family. Because of all of this, he was able to defend, protect, battle, and stand tall for his people. Sometimes, and for a long time, we've come to church and we hear, uh, and, and as men, we hear, man, this is what you're supposed, not supposed to do. Men, stop doing this thing. Stop Stop, 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 stop. Here's what I want as a culture and for a church culture. Tell us men, what are we supposed to do then? Like as men, we've heard, as Christian men, we've heard forever. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Okay, well, you're taking it all away from me as a spiritual Christian man. What am I supposed to do? Uh, man, I, I would challenge you or just ask you to, to go pick this book up. Uh, it's, it's inexpensive at times. It's called Wild at Heart by John, by John Eldridge. Eldridge. And uh, man, what he writes about in this book is that God created you and wired you just the way you are. He cre- created you as a man who, who is um, visually stimulated He created you as a man who has this innate ability to compete. He created you as a man with the drive and the competition. And we shouldn't be quenching those things. Maybe we need to direct them into a pursuit of Christ, but we don't need to be quenching them. And so this morning, I want to share a message with you. We we did talk about this passage at, uh, at our men's retreat, plug for the men's retreat coming in up. <laughs> coming up in October. Um, but I, I, want, I want to give you permission, men, to, 
get your Tim Taylor on, the oh, 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 oh. And, and to lead the way that God's designed you to lead. I want to give you permission to act as you were intended to act, um, you know, and, and, and take this world by storm as Christian men, okay? So, uh, in your Bible, if you want to find 1 Samuel chapter 14, I'm going to give you a little context to where we are. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Josh will pass a Bible. Are there Bibles on those things? Hey, one? All right, who's the lucky one? We're taking uh, dibs. What's on $5, $5, I see $5, $5, $10. Okay, $2.50, $2.50, $2.50. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Here's the lucky thing for you is that uh, we also have the Restore Church app that you can follow along with us. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app or you can follow along on the screens. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. I want to give you a, a little bit of an insight to where we are uh, in, in the story. Okay, we've all been following along. We've been telling the story of God, this lower story, this chronological timepiece, okay? And uh, we're going to back up a little bit to the time where King Saul is the king. Now, just to clarify again, this is a different Saul from the New Testament who eventually becomes Paul and plants churches, and somewhere down the line we've come from that. But this is the Saul in the Old Testament. He's King Saul. The nation of Israel was in a time where they wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And God's like, no, I want to be your king. I want to be your king. Let me lead you. And they're like, no, we want someone who's going to lead us into victory. We want someone we can see. And so he said, all right, you're going to have a king, but I'm going to tell you he's going to lead you into distress. He's going to lead you into tough situations. He's going to take your men or your, your boys and your brothers and your husbands. He's going to put them on the front lines of his army to do his bidding. He's going to take your wives. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to use them for whatever he would like. He's going to take your, your, your crops and, and your farm and your animals. He's going to use them for him. He's going to lead harshly. And at first, that's not true of King Saul, but once power gets to his head, that's what we see. And then Saul starts to lead this army in the best way that he sees fit. He, he stops asking God, God, how should I lead? He, he stops asking God, God, what's next? But instead, he starts leading in his own way. He starts leading worship services, and he's the leader. He's the point of attention. He starts offering sacrifices when he's not supposed to. And what's happening now is he's starting to go into battles that he's not asked God for guidance for. He's starting to lead his people into battles that he's not prepared for or his people aren't prepared for. And so where we are in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul has just led his people into a battle with the Philistines. Philistines, the, the Bible will call them, and we're going to see that in today's passage, it's going to call them uncircumcised fellows. Okay, so when you read that, it's going to mean Philistines. But they seem to be this, this thorn in the side for, for the Israelites. It's like their constant opponent. And so... Uh, let, let's, let's begin together reading uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through, uh, let's read 1 through 3 together. Um, verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistines' outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Let's, let's pause. In the, in the end of the last battle with the Philistines and the Israelites, the Philistines not only beat the Israelites or won or conquered the war, but they came in and they took all the weapons away. 
um, th- not only did they take weapons away from the Israelites, but they took all the blacksmiths, um, all of the blacksmiths, we- uh, not weapons, tools. So now the blacksmiths can't make weapons for the army. There are two people in the nation of Israel who do have weapons, King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Now, King Saul, this big, mighty leader that the nation wanted and the nation asked for, has led his people to a place that is so mighty that it's kind of hard to comprehend. King Saul has led his people to be hiding in holes and in caves. Literally, the Bible says they're hiding in holes and caves. Where's King Saul while all this is happening? He and his mighty men, they're hiding underneath the shade of a pomegranate tree. But we just read in these first two verses, though, or in, in this first verse. But Jonathan, he's antsy. He's ready to go. We just lost the world. We just got punked by the Philistines. They took all of our stuff away. I'm not just going to sit back and let this, this thing keep going. I, I want to say, men, fathers, dads, like if your family's not headed in a direction that you like, change it. <laughs> if, if you, as a, as a man, are headed in a direction that you don't like, change it. Jonathan, is, is, he's, he's like, man, the, the nation of Israel is standing here getting punked, right? Like, they just took all our stuff away, and I'm not going to stand for this. So he says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistines' outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. An armor bearer, his job is to do exactly that. His career choice is to carry Jonathan's armor. I might have signed up for something different, but whatever. And so, here, here we go. Uh, verse 2, um, Saul was staying on the outskirts of, of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. How manly is that? Um, maybe sipping on vitamin water. Uh, with him were about 600 men, along, who, along whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an, an ephod. He was son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. Ahitub. I don't know, you do this. I, I know, it's hard, okay? Stop judging me. The son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that no one was aware that Jonathan had left. All right, here we go. Here we go. Men, you know, clench your fists and start snarling because we're ready. Verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistines' outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other Sena. One cliff stood to the north toward, toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. All right, here we go. Verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come on, let's go to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Scripture says that Jonathan, he, he says, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Remember, the Philistines. I don't think Jonathan's going over to play cornhole or spades. I think there's like this snarl, this like crazy twitch in this dude's eye. Like, hey, armor bear, come on. He's like, oh, dog, he just got this twitch again. Jonathan, like, starts, like, you know, football bouncing, you know, like these guys on TV. He's ready to go. He looks at the armor bearer, and he says, let's let's do this. 
Like, I'm, I'm tired of sitting here watching these guys on these cliffs celebrate, but we're going to go to the outpost because then he says this, possibly, maybe the Lord has given us to, or given them to us. Jonathan, he's inspired. I, I want to you hear this. He's inspired by the power of God. Not just like in that moment, like it's just some wild, like crazy hair. But man, he's seen God work. He's a part of the nation of Israel. He's heard stories about this powerful, almighty God who split the, sea, the Red Sea. He split the Jordan and let them have the promised land. Like, he's ready to see that God go to work in his nation. And he's ready to see, maybe you're ready to see that kind of God go to work in your family and in your own life. And so he relies on the power of God. And I wanna, who doesn't want to follow that? Man, who doesn't want to follow that kind of courageous leadership? Who doesn't want to follow that kind of inspiration? Who doesn't want to follow in the footsteps of a spiritual warrior? Because I know that I would. I saw a question last night on Facebook that said, Fathers, your kids are leading you, but where are you headed? Man, your kids are following you. They're following your footsteps. They're following you courageously. They're following you in a spiritual war. They're following you as you walk into the other room just to spend time in your, in your Bible, because I, I know we're all doing that. They're following you into the bedroom after an argument with your wife because you just need to pray for a minute. That's what you do, right? Finish the argument with your wife. Fine, fine, honey. I'm just going to go in the other room, and I'm going to pray. Oh, well, y'all took me serious. Maybe, maybe you do. Okay, all right, I'm going to start following your lead. That's good. That's awesome, and, and, and you should. It's like, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you to trip, slip, but not get real hurt because I can't do the emergency room visits. All right, listen. They're following you, right? As a, as a dad, they're, they're following you. Look, you may not be a dad yet. Your kids will follow you. Where are you leading them? Um, and, and what are they seeing in their, in their leader? Look at what the armor bearer says. Verse 7. Jonathan, so, so Jonathan says, Let's go. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Remember, he's got this little twitch in his neck, this little eyes moving a little bit. Verse 7 says, Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer says, Go ahead. Listen to this. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you, heart and soul. This is more than him following a good idea, even though this seems like a bad idea. This is more than him following because of the job or the career choice that he has. He's committed right now to not only fighting for Jonathan and fighting for the nation of Israel, but the armor bearer is fighting for the Lord. And when he sees his, his leader with just this unlike like this, this unwavering courage and this unwavering inspiration in who God is. He says, look, I am with you heart and soul. I don't, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us that. I'd imagine this guy's not hesitating. He's like, man, I'm with you. Let's, let's go get it. Who doesn't want your, who, who as a leader of our family doesn't want to say, man, I'm, this is where I think our family's headed. 
when we uh, decided we were going to plant a church in Jacksonville, uh, first of all, I didn't know where Jacksonville was, let alone didn't know there was a Marine Corps base here. Um, I just lived in my little small town, small mind, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I was leading church there. God decided he was going to lead our family to start a new church. Well, what this meant for us was leaving everything that we've built really for like the last six, seven, eight years. And uh, my wife's family was 30 minutes away. Um, we had built a good network there. Um, we were, uh, Bowen was born, our, was born and, and lived there. We were raising him there. And then our daughter was born there. Our best friends in the entire world were like three or four months away from having their first child. And then God's like, hey, I think I want you to go plant a new church in Jacksonville. And I was like, no, we're going to Florida. I'm out. Let's go. Um, so I feel like God was leading us to, to plant this church. Uh, and my wife just didn't. And, man, we, I, we have never fought like that before. And I remember there was a moment we were standing across from each other uh, she was on one side of the bed, and I was on the other. Um, and we were both crying. And I don't know if it was her or if it, if it was me that said it. And, and it was, this is what it said. This is how deep and how real it got. It's either we go to Jacksonville, and she would grow to resent me for moving away from her family. Or we stay here, and I would grow to resent her for making me miss out on, on God's call. Man, we, we had so many people praying for us. We did not like each other. <laughs> uh, standing on the opposite ends of the bed was as close as we got. You know what I mean? Like, we just didn't like each other, and we had a lot of people praying for us. And over the next few months, man, we watched God change. And here's, here's, here's what is awesome. Man, I love, because I can tell this story, is my wife is with me heart and soul. All the time. Well, maybe not all the time. <laughs> We're in Jacksonville, so. Um, and I, I'm with you heart and soul, and it's not because we were going to make more money or because it was going to be cooler or, or whatever it is or career step. It, it was none of that. But here, here's what happened is over the course of months, as we were praying together, what should we do, what should we do, what should we do? There was no doubt in our lives that God was leading this. And there were times where I was like, no, let's stay in Jacksonville, and she, or let's stay in Elizabeth City. She's like, no, we, we have to go to Jacksonville because that's where God is leading us. Man, when you can have someone in your family saying, I got your back, heart and soul, heart and soul, heart and soul, who, who doesn't want that? Let's keep reading what happens. Um, verse 8. So he says, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. Oh, it's a great idea. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, we will stay there. Uh, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. Verse 10, but if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And the armor bearer is like, no, this is not a good plan. I was, I was in it until this plan. It's like peekaboo, but with a lot more risk, right? The, the, the terms are set. We set out, and if they say, um, if they say we're going to come down to you, dude, hold on. we got to fight. If they say, come on up here, then we know that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. Um, verse 11. So both of them showed, to, showed themselves to the Philistines' outpost. Peekaboo. 
Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and the armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan's like, oh, yeah, the twitch is gone. Let's go. (laughs) So Jonathan, or as the kids would say, let's get it popping. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. The Lord has given them in the hand of Israel. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with the armor bearer right behind The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about half an acre. Y'all, yeah, these guys went went nuts. They come out and they show themselves. The the Philistines say, come on up here, let's teach you a lesson. And then Jonathan's like, the only lessons can be taught, brother. I'm going to learn you something, right? That's North Carolina phrase. And so then then they start climbing. It says that he climbs up with his hands and his feet like this is the most manly thing ever. The armor bearer is behind him carrying all Jonathan's stuff. Again, wishing he would have been the king's baker at this point. He's got like swords in his face trying trying to get up there. The, the, The Philistines are at the top making fun of them. And they're looking over a cliff. And men, what do we do when we look over a cliff? Right? That's, that's what we do. The inner boy comes out of us. And so they're climbing up, but all the while, like, like the armor bearer is, is following Jonathan up there. And then when they get there, man, I don't know how it went. I don't know if it's like rock, paper, scissors, shoot, let's go, if it's one, two, three, or close your eyes and let's roll. But Jonathan and the armor bearer roll. Man, I, I don't know if you can tell if, if you've got your Bible, Bible open. But the next subtitle that leads you into the story says that Israel routs the Philistines. They get their dignity back. They get their weapons back. They get, they get like back on God's good side. Here in just a few chapters later, Saul will stop, or Samuel will then anoint David as the king of Israel. Uh, And the spirit of the Lord will be on David and will be back. Man, I love this story. I talk, I, I, I wish I could preach on this story a lot. I mean, this is just a story of, of togetherness, of closeness, of courage. And man, what a great story of how Jonathan wouldn't stand around and be okay. Now, hold on, this might step on your toes a little bit. But what a great story about how you wouldn't stand around and be okay with the status quo of the world creeping into your family, but decide to lead the ones that are close to you. And you will lead your family to a victory you'll never forget, like every day. Oh, I'm sorry, I replaced Jonathan's name with yours. Jonathan was not okay with the, thing, with the way things were. And so he decides that he's going to do something about it. But I don't know if you can come back to the most important thing in this story. It's not how they climbed the cliff uh, with their hands. It wasn't wasn't even necessarily that the armor bearer was with him heart and soul. But the the highlight of the story is at the end of verse 6. It was before they even showed themselves to the Philistines. The highlight of this was in verse 6. When they trusted before anything happened, they trust that the Lord will prevail. Listen, men, do you believe that the Lord can prevail in your family and in your marriage and in the lives of your children? 
he knew that God was going to do something. Oh, at the end of verse 6, it's, or I think it's the end of verse 6, yeah. End of verse 6 says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I hear this often. Uh, I, sometimes I'll invite someone to church, or, uh, and they'll say, Yeah, you know, our kids are young. We really want to get them uh, in the church, and I want my kids to experience church. Look, guys, if you want your kids to, to be in church, you got to be here. Right, if, if you want them to value God's word, you have to. And if, if, if you want your kids to pursue Christ, you've got to do it too. They're following in your footsteps where you lead them. So, men, let me talk to you for a second, as if I hadn't already. This morning, you, you may have come in here staring at a few cliffs. Maybe it was a tough marriage. Or being a single dad. Maybe on the other side of the cliff, you're looking at your children who just won't respect you. They won't listen to you. Um, maybe you came in here this morning feeling well, uh, weaponless. Perhaps like the best things for you to do is just go kick it under a pomegranate tree and just surrender. Maybe this morning you came in these doors feeling defeated because of life. Maybe you couldn't feel further from a man right now for whatever reason. You're beat down, uh, maybe without a job. Maybe something in your life has just made you feel just so small. I want to talk to everybody else. Maybe you too. So when you're stuck in this spot of like, I'm not sure what to do. Like men, you're like, I want to leave my family. Roger, that's cool. Like, I want to climb cliffs. I want my children and my wife to say to me, I'm with you heart and soul. But right now, that's just not happening in my house. What can I do? Or maybe you're just at a point where life has got you beat up and, and, and you're like, man, I, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I just, this whole like church thing's not happening for me right now. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I mean, God's blessing them and them and them, just not me and us. Well, there's this guy who knew the feeling. His name is Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. He's in the Bible. This is what's cool. Uh, in Ephesians, he's, he's, he's in prison, which is like Paul's M.O. He's always in prison, I feel like. And, and he writes Ephesians 5, okay? Ephesians 5 starts out with, Therefore, brother, or, therefore um, as dearly loved children, be imitators of God. It's like, oh, God loves us. We can be imitators of God. He, he goes on to say what that looks like. And then at the end of chapter 5, he talks about this relationship between a husband and wife and how it's supposed to work. If you're having trouble in your marriage, go back to Ephesians 5. Go back to Ephesians 5. Then he doesn't stop. He says, fathers, this is how you should treat your children. Children, this is how you should treat your fathers. And it bleeds on into chapter 6. So he talks about how a Christian family should respond to each other. And then on the heels of all that, Paul's trying to close up the letter of Ephesians. And he writes this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. So last thing I'm going to tell you is be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Y'all, there's some buff dudes in here that I'm scared of, probably 95% of you. But it's going to go away at some point. Your fear is going to, is going to, to come up. And what, what does Paul say to do? Not be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. Stop trying to rely on yourself because yourself is only going to get you to where you're going. But be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, something like Jonathan. He says this in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. This is more than just a children's school lesson. So, so listen. So that you can take your stand, stand against the devil's scheme, schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want, I want you to hear that your battle is never against flesh and blood. Like your war is not against your boss, or against your wife. Your, your battle is not with your children. Your battle is with Satan. And man, when you come back to the, the, the cause of all of these issues in your family, it might be because of a lack of patience or because of an overwhelmingly amount of pride. And those are not against flesh and blood, but those are against the rulers of this dark world, Satan. And listen, if he wants to invade our country, if he wants to invade our, our churches, he's going to do it through the family. And it's your job, men, to flex a little bit, right? Get big, get angry, get pissed off and say, you are not getting in this house, Say, now I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight for my wife and I'm going to fight for my kids and I'm going to be damned if I'm going to let you get in the way of that. Like, this is my family and God made me the leader of it. Watch me lead. I'm sorry if, about the cuss words. Not to you. To my mamma who's going to listen to this online. Sorry, mamma. <laughs> but I think that's what we need. We need you to just stand up and fight, right? Just to get up and fight. Like, like, put down the toys. Put down the controllers. Hold your wife. Hold your kids. Because Satan, he's coming for everybody. <laughs> All right, verse 13. Here we go. Listen. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, listen, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to do it. This is how we're going to fight right here. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Here we go. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. There will not be a lie to come out of your mouth and you won't stand for them. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, I'm going to stick my chest out and I'm going to run toward righteousness because that's what God wants for me. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel uh, of peace, I'm going to spread the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Look, if you want to know how to stand, if you want to know how to protect, if you want to know how to defend, if you want to know how to conquer, like if you want to know how to 
how to channel those innate, of those built-in systems that God has designed you and wired you to do, it's right here. Stand as a spiritual warrior. Put on these things in, in Ephesians chapter 6. And that's what it looks like to stand up against Satan. It's what it looks like to, to, to fight for the Lord's army. Look, we start to, I, I, I want to watch. I can't wait to hear about what happens when you, I can't wait to hear what happens when you, uh, when you start to lead like this. I can't wait to hear about marriages that are stronger than ever. I can't wait to hear about what your kids say or, you know, they, they want to pray because that's what daddy does. I can't wait to hear about those things. But here's, here's what's going to happen. You, you will win your family back. Live this out. You will get your marriage back. Live this out. You will lead your family. Sin in your life and in your family will not have a foothold. Satan will lose a grip, and the freedom of living in God will be a reality. Um, I think this is one of the coolest lessons that I learned as a father and as leader. I, I think you guys should hear this also. There are some days that I blow it as a dad. Um, there are some days that I blow it as a husband. This is not um, someone who's got it all together because I don't. And I, I'm, I'm just as sinful as anybody else when it comes to this, man. I, I wish that I were a better leader. I wish I was a better father. I wish I was a better husband. Um, one of the coolest things, I got to work at a Christian university um, before I moved here. And I was the campus minister, and so my job was the spiritual care of about 100, uh, 100 students. And uh, it was one of the most um, uh, life-giving jobs I've ever had. And um, what was uh, one semester, there was, uh, we got a blind student. Um, her name was Grace, and uh, this was, it, it, it's amazing to watch her just maneuver in life. And a lot of times you'd say, hey, do you need help? No, I've got it. And I'm like, are you sure? And then you watch, and it's like, that is unbelievable. Just how she has accommodated to, to, uh, to living this kind of life, to do college by herself. Like, she doesn't have a parent, doesn't have anybody with her, except for her dog. It was amazing that she would, she would stop at, at intersections, at crosswalks, with no one else around. But if it wasn't for her dog, she wouldn't. Um, here's a lesson I learned from Grace. Uh, Grace, the person, is um, she had to put 100% trust in that dog. And I, I don't know what it'd be like without it. I, I, but what I did is I, I would watch her, and that, that dog would know when she was uncomfortable and would lead her out of a room would stop at an intersection because paw, his paws would be different. He would keep her safe. This is, this is what I learned. Guys, if, if you're going to lead anyone, you, we, have got to trust in the one that's leading us. Right? And know without, beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that, that God is not leading us uh, into into. God is leading us. He's leading us with power and courage, and he's expecting us to follow. And when we turn around, there's going to be a group of people saying, heart and soul, I'm right with you. I want to ask you this. I'm committed to this. Are you? Will you love God more than anything? 
And then watch, watch as you lead your family. Man, I, I'm excited. I, I know there are some conquerors, some spiritual warriors in this room. And so I just want to end it this way. Look, you have permission. Lead. I'm not telling you what not to do. I'm telling you what you can do, what you've been given the responsibility and the power to do. Um, man, I, I, I think I end like a lot of sermons this way. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, I know you can't either. Dude, all right, dude, like, this is all fancy and stuff. I'm not that fancy, right? The lights and stuff, like, the whole, like, professional thing. Uh, I want to, shut up, dude. Just finish the sermon. Don't, uh, this is how I'm going to finish this. This is not how it's written. I'm just going to talk for a minute. You ever get, like, this challenge in you? Man, I want to speak to you for a minute. You ever get this challenge in you? Like, you just get this excitement that's built. Um, you know, like the first day of a diet. <laughs> and you're like, I can do it. And then you're like, second day, no, nah, I can't. I'm out. Um, like the first day of practice, and you're going to be state champions. Like, that, that like, that's how I feel right now. Like, I've got this. You can't base your whole Christian life on feelings. Please don't do that. You'll be in trouble if you do. But, but right now, man, I... I like, I hope you're sitting in your chair with this little bit of fire of what it's going to look like when you get home this afternoon, when you decide you're going to pray with your family for the first time. Or maybe you're going to read through John together, you and your wife, and then you're going to step in the room and tell your kids the story. Man, I have this, like, just excitement. It's not about me. It's about God. I think he's excited, too. Um, let's pray. How about that? God, I love you. Um, I thank you for being our father. God, I thank you that you've wired us and designed us. You've created us as fathers to lead. But God, the reality is that there are some times that we, I know we're just tired. <laughs> there are some times that we just, frustrated and, and uh, impatient. Sometimes we're greedy and prideful. And God, f- forgive us. God, in those times, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit just, just speaks, through, speaks for us and through us and gives us courage. Uh, God, we, we're just humbled to be in your presence, like in front of you, as a, as a pure and constant and good father, as our example. Um, God, we, we just, uh, we pray for strength and courage and uh, to, to lead. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.